welcome to Estradi Illusions episode. I want to say 16, but I think I'm batting 0 for 10 on the past 10 episodes, getting whatever episode we're at. So uh, leave that running joke in place. We have a great guest with us today. And on a topic, I've really wanted to record this particular episode since I think probably about February. And then that, that I don't know if people have seen that show with the dragons that was on HBO, but uh, that kind of got in the way of, Pretty much every podcast I wanted to do. So this is uh, now that now that Game of Thrones is over, we are going to talk about Chuck Mosley of Faith No More, and I have his bandmate, his manager, his longtime friend. I heard him once described as his parental figure at uh, when I saw them at the Viper Room. We have a uh, my friend Doug Esper here to talk to us. Doug, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Ooh, that's a that's a tall proposition. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I am a I guess author, musician, now a bad actor um, uh, recently, but uh, a longtime uh, friend of Chuck's, and was kind of lucky enough to be in a position to um, befriend him about twenty two years ago, and 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 kind of help lead the charge of his, his, uh, his comeback and last couple tours and his last couple recording sessions and stuff. I have read your story of how you met Chuck, but it's so fascinating that, uh, if you could, for our listeners, uh, just explain how you, uh, came about meeting him originally. Yeah. So, okay. I live in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, which, you know, is awesome. Everyone loves Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and back in, like 96, um, I heard that Chuck had moved to Cleveland, um, and he was practicing with a new project, um, down the hallway in a warehouse from, uh, a, a band, uh, that had a couple of friends of mine. And I used to go down there and try and you know, watch their practice and then kept my eye out for Chuck and, uh, never saw him down there, but it kept you just missing him. And then every concert I went to, I looked for him. And then September 23rd, 1997, I went to go see uh, Faith Amore at the Agora here in Cleveland. Um, I walked in and he, <clears throat> there was Chuck standing by himself, just kind of hanging out and uh, went up and said hello. And he was just kind and generous with his time and very welcoming. And um, we kind of kept in touch from there. Um, I started booking concerts and booked his band a few times. Um, I worked in, in radio and then, uh, did a stint in internet radio, um, for a couple of years and had him on my shows for interviews and things like that. And, um, just kind of all these different things, we'd kind of keep running into each other and, and kind of just developed a relationship that way. And, and, uh, then it led to helping him get in the studio and work on music and stuff like that. The way you describe it makes it seem like, uh, something like singles or reality bites or just the plot of a really great nineties indie movie of just like super fan meets legendary rock star. Exactly. And I I had, you know, I was, I was, uh, freshly, freshly 18 at the time. And, um, you know, to, to go up to him and would have been fine if he was like, cool. Nice to meet you. Not scram or, you know, whatever. It would have just been cool just to say hi. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's written some music that I've, you know, loved and helped me get through high school and, you know, through all these different 
uh, times in my life. And I would have been totally fine just saying hello. But the fact that he kind of kept the you know conversation going and then, you know, reached out to me and, and, you know, I gave him, gave my phone number at one point, he called me and, you know, whatnot. It was, it was like a natural thing. And he was just so down to earth that it just made it, you know, every time he would call, he would call and just be like, Hey, what's going on? What are you doing? You know, you want to go grab a drink or you know whatever. And I, I was like, felt this pressure to be like, well, no, we got to get you going. Like, you know, let's make this call productive, you know? And he was, <laughs> and sometimes he wasn't, you know, looking to, to, to get work done. He just wanted to, we just wanted to talk or whatever, you know? Yeah. That's uh, when I met Chuck at your guys' show that you played at the Viper room back in, August of 2017, and when I was actually when I was reading the back notes of the uh, the record store day release, the Joe Hayes sessions, mm-hmm. uh, I realized that would have probably been the day you guys recorded that, right? Uh, it, it, was, it was. Studio? We so we were in a different studio that day. We had just finished his solo record that day. Okay. Um, so we went after that Los Angeles show at the Viper Room. We played in Oakland, and then up a couple shows up in Portland. And one in Washington and then Boise. And then we recorded the next day in Salt Lake city. So it was probably like five days after that, but yes, we had just, we had just come straight from uh, the studio to record on Chuck's solo album. Right. Cause I remembered you guys had been in the studio recording and naturally because I've lived in SoCal for four years, I think the world revolves around Los Angeles. (laughs) It was, um, uh, so we, those two songs that we recorded, those two covers that came out, um, we were in Salt Lake city for a show and, um, we stopped at a studio run by Joe Hayes who had just recorded Chuck for primitive race. Um, so he recorded Chuck's vocals and, um, so they had talked about what he was working on. And Joe said, if you're ever back this way, um, you know, stop by. So we did, and, and we only had about five or six hours. Um, but we went in and kind of flew in and got two songs done, you know, very shakily and, and very raw. Um, you know, I think the final version of, um, nothing compares to you basically is just Chuck and a guitar track. You know, we, we, we had added some other things and, and it just sounded better just him and, and you know, his voice and his guitar. Uh, it does sound great. I'll link to, uh, where you can find, uh, that, record it's a seven inch uh that came out on record store day i actually went to you know record store days about supporting all your uh local indie record stores and i went to the two that are in walking distance from me because of course in southern california that is something that you can do <laughs> i don't know any other place where you could like walk to a record store but another one of them had it and then i went and there was this great site that uh doug actually sent me to and it the cover of take this bottle is very uh it's very touching. It's a moving. I l- listened to it a bunch of times already. And your wife, Michelle, is actually doing backing vocals on that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's great. I highly recommend it. But when we Thank were, you. when we saw you guys in the Viper room, uh, my partner and I had gotten there super early because you never know what the traffic's going to be like in LA. And we parked, I guess we Ubered from her apartment. Uh, we, we got to the Sunset Strip and we were going to the Rainbow Room for uh, dinner and Chuck and I think it was your, it was somebody, somebody walked out and I, I recognized him and I just, before the show, 
introduced myself to him and immediate I said that I said that I knew you and immediately he starts telling me something that you guys had been discussing in the car on the car ride or <laughs> I wasn't actually 100% sure what he was talking about but um yeah. he, he definitely does have that uh he he had that warm welcoming spirit of uh, a person who could just talk to anybody mm-hmm. and um I I I you know that's a trait that is so rare in a lot of people and especially even for me having um you know, having having transitioned, you have uh, a, a lot of a lot of times you can be kind of like scared to go out in the world because you're afraid of how people receive you. And the Chuck sort of philosophy in that regard to just, you know, be welcoming to everybody really does get you far in life, I think. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, it was it's funny because, you know, anyone that walked down the street, he would talk to and. Uh, strike up a conversation with like, and like a meaningful thing, you know, like he, you know, um, there was, uh, at one point we played, um, three shows in, in Pennsylvania in 2016. And, and so all three nights we left the show and stayed with my buddy Terry in Philadelphia. And by the end of the third day, um, Chuck had befriended one of Terry's neighbors. And, um, weeks later, we were in the middle of nowhere. I want to say like Utah or somewhere. And, and Chuck started giggling and he's, and I was like, what? And he said, uh, Oh, um, like Ben would love that. And I was like, who's Ben? What are you talking about? And we had passed a billboard and the billboard reminded him of something Ben had said three weeks ago, you know, this ra- random guy in Philadelphia, you know, but he, he had this like running narrative, like everything just kind of blurred together. And every conversation was one long conversation, which, is very endearing, but it, it certainly can be frustrating. Like you said, when you're trying to keep track of what is what and remember where all these different conversations are going. Right. Uh, it must've been fascinating to be, I saw the car that you guys were driving around in. Um, that must've been, uh, very wild to, uh, I guess for most people touring, but, uh, especially to have Chuck mostly in the car with you for, I mean, you guys went all over the place. For a while, yeah. too, you had the the two tours. Yeah, I mean that that um that the tour that we saw you on, um, we did. We were together. It was thirty one days. Uh, the four of us in a minivan. Uh, we played, I think, twenty five or twenty six shows. We had two recording sessions. Um, I think we had two off days. Um, and we drove over 11,000 miles together in that, that wow. 30, 31 days. Yeah. So we, I think, um, I want to say we were in like 30, it was 30 some of the States that we touched in that, that 30, uh, 31 days. So, um, yeah, we, we definitely got around. Um, we, there was three hurricanes, um, that we just avoided. Um, we played Houston, um, and a couple of days later, uh, the first of the hurricanes came through and then, after we went to the West coast and came back, we got to Dallas just after I think a uh, second hurricane had hit and, and we were waiting like 45 minutes to get gas and everything. Cause everyone was coming North to get away from the, the devastation. And then we went out um, to the East coast and we played in Charleston or North Charleston, South Carolina. Um, and two days later after we left there um, and headed North, uh, they got uh, pounded and then there was a, a third hurricane came through, I think, and hit um, Florida as we were playing, I think, like Atlanta or something. So, yeah, we just – it was a crazy month. 
Wow, that would have been wild. To, uh, although 45, that's like when you go to try to get gas at Costco. That's basically, uh, I always, I, I, they probably don't, uh, that's a California thing maybe. But um, <laughs> I, it, uh, yeah, that's fascinating. You guys, you had told me a story about you guys were, maybe you had gotten pulled over. It was something, something through Alabama. Was, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the first day on that run, so we drove, uh, we left Cleveland and we drove straight down to Huntsville, Alabama. Um, and we played a show there and it was the first show with, um, our bass player, Randy. Um, he, he, I think he had two practices and we basically threw like 20 some songs at him and, uh, we got down to Alabama. The, the original plan was we'd leave kind of early in the day. We drive most of the way down and spend the night and then be fresh for the next day. Well, because of, you know, Chuck and running late constantly, we, we left late at night and we basically, it was like a 12 hour drive. We got to Huntsville at like, um, 10 in the morning and, you know, nobody was coming to the club until like six. So we just basically sat in the parking lot for like eight hours, just baking in the Alabama heat. And, um, um, so we played the show and then as soon as the show was done, we packed up and we drove to, uh, we were heading to New Orleans because Chuck was going to meet his first grandson. Um, his daughter and his grandson were in New Orleans to meet us. Um, and as we were driving south, um, this is probably like six in the morning, seven in the morning, like the sun's just coming up. Um, I had, I had driven for a few hours and then fell asleep. Chuck took over. He wakes me up and we're talking and he's like, Oh, we're getting pulled over. And, um, so it was a Alabama drug task force car with two guys who just, you know, I think they, they saw a guy with, with dreads driving fast heading south. And they just, you know, we're licking their chops thinking we're going to, this, this is going to be something. And they tried every which way to, to harass him and, uh, get him to, you know, say that there was drugs in the car or give them a reason to search the car or whatnot. Um, and then the, the one cop came up, I was sitting in the passenger seat and, and he kind of gave me a hard time. And I was just beyond tired because I had driven 12 hours, then hung out, then played a show, then, you know, driven us through the night. And I, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. And he was just in my face. And the, Chris and Randy, uh, the guitar player and, and bass player were in the back, just cracking up as this guy was just, you know, making me, out to be an idiot, which, you know, it's not totally far off, but I, <laughs> it didn't help that I was, you know, just running on fumes at that point and uh, just didn't know what was going on. Eventually they just, they, they, uh, they said, get out of our state basically. And they followed us to the uh, Missouri border. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they're, they're not familiar with uh, musicians. Yeah. If they knew us at all, they'd know that, uh, I mean, there's, there's no money. We couldn't, uh, you know, even if we were trying to smuggle drugs, we couldn't afford the drugs to smuggle them. <laughs> that, uh, they must not have been, uh, faith nor more fans or fans of, uh, the show dirty jobs, which if you're listening, uh, track vocals were on the, in the theme yeah. song of that from, uh, we care a lot, which I've been waiting to see a, I go to a lot of baseball games and nobody, I guess a lot of relievers have their own, uh, entrance music now because I don't really hear that one, but they should. I heard one of I've, them actually. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, um, I I was uh, I, I've heard it once. Uh, it was years ago, um, but I was uh, I was at a game here in Cleveland at an Indians game, and um, 
I, for the longest time, remember the pitcher's name, but I, I, I think he was from Minnesota, but he came in and, and, uh, he had the, um, he had, we care a lot, uh, playing, you know, it's a dirty job, but someone has to do it. And I thought that was pretty good. It's a great song. It's held up, uh, remarkably. My favorite song from the, uh, mostly led era of Faith No More has got to be, uh, Crab Song, a song that I've loved even more since meeting Chuck, because you can totally tell how that song came to be when you talk to him. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. Like, you know, you look at that, that song and the, you know, when it came out and what else was kind of happening at the time. And it's, it's, uh, you know, even just the, you know, the intro where he's got this, you know, earnest, you know, straightforward singing. And then there's all these, you know, talking like little whispers and things in the back conversations happening. And, and you don't really know what the whole story is. And that's what he loved. He loved having layers of layers and layers uh, on top of each other and, and, and kind of, creating a little bit of mystery and, 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 and wonder what the heck the real story was. And that's kind of, that's kind of, I, I thought, I, I think a lot about sort of that, that era of music. Well, I guess with um, Faith No More would have been really at kind of the beginning of what was uh, happening in the nineties with hard rock and new metal and all that. And I actually was talking at the show you guys played at with your guitarist, Chris, about, sort of all the doors that Faith No More opened up at the time. And when you think about a song like Crab Song, which is all over the place, I mean, with with regard to music classification, which, you know, you put a band in a genre, fine, but that maybe doesn't tell the full story. Like a band like Faith No More really, uh, it's very hard to really describe them in a way that does justice. Because when you compare them to other bands at the time. I mean, they, they, they're, they're really in a league of their own. Yeah. And it, it's, it's funny. Cause like, you know, you read stories about their early uh, shows and the audiences that they were playing for in San Francisco and then in LA. And, you know, they, you know, would play to these uh, like kind of, they described them as, you know, like hippie crowds in, in San Francisco uh, with like some like folk and pop rock and whatnot. And then they, you know, they play a cover of war pigs and, and scare everybody, you know, or <laughs> they play, you know, or they play in front of, uh, you know, metalhead crowds and, and, uh, they, they throw in, you know, covers of, you know, easy by the Commodores or, you know, whatever. And, and, uh, and kind of scare those guys. So they just, they always love to kind of confuse their audience. Even, um, you know, they did the, the cover of, um, like a Nestle's chocolate commercial at one point and then broke into stairway to heaven. I mean, just the randomness <laughs> of it all. <laughs> was that, was that a, was that a truck decision to go from uh chocolate to uh you could really write a fascinating academic paper on like what that says about like commercialism, like a right. really, like the most popular radio song of all time. And then literally <laughs> an advertisement. That, yep. uh, that's fascinating. I, yeah, uh, I didn't know that. That um, um, if you look up, uh, there's there's a show I know from 1987. They played in St. Louis, and they do a really good version. It's like I said, it's the Nestle's Sweet Dreams or uh, uh, White Chocolate commercial, and then they they play that theme, and then they like I said, it, it turns into Stairway to Heaven, and it's it's just so absurd and so wonderful at the same time. 
it's great that they were putting themselves out there in front of so many different audiences also, because I mean, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to think of like sort of how the, how the marketing would have worked back then with like how, how popular MTV still was and programming mm. blocks and all of that kind of stuff. You're looking for like similar, similar types of groups to put together. I guess radio probably still functions a lot like that. Uh, or at me, a band like Faith No More would really screw up like a, a Spotify or a Pandora. Like, oh, yeah, if you yeah, like yeah. if you like this, you like that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I've I've tried uh, when 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 people were first telling me about Pandora and they're like, oh yeah, you know, you just type in who you like and then it'll just find other people. And and I found that I did not like a lot of <laughs> a lot of what they were suggesting that I might like if I liked Faith No More. I have in my cars uh, Sirius XM, which I like because it has like live live DJ, DJs, and I'm a huge New Wave fan, so I tend to like to listen to that a lot. But um, there's something there's something about curation that I mean, I guess um, books are very much the same way. Just the the value of a physical library to have somebody tell you with all this, especially in the in the the Netflix era where you can the streaming era where you can just watch right. anything. It, it it kind of begs the question of okay, well, how do I narrow down anything you want to something that I actually do want, or am I just going to spend my time searching for something? Which mm-hmm. I uh, I remember you guys saying, um, Chuck, you guys had a uh, D- David Bowie CD in your van that you guys would play a lot. That was uh, yeah, yeah. Th- um, I think if if you if you gave Chuck, you know, one musician that he had to listen to the rest of his life and, you know, whatever, he would have picked David Bowie. Uh, I think he related to him a lot uh, from an early age. He would tell me, um, you know, he was, he was like growing up, he was very into the the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and he was taking um, classical piano lessons. And he said he was at the music store taking a piano lesson and, um, you know, David Bowie came on and, he just kind of, you know, had that one of those epiphany moments. He stopped and asked who it was and just kind of said, okay, I want to, I want to be that guy. I want to, I want to play guitar. I want to, you know, just be whoever I want to be. And I want to uh, play whatever style I want to play. And, and, you know, it was a big moment for him. Yeah, and the Beatles and David Bowie are both two artists who... I mean, you go from one album to the next, it would almost, uh, except for like the vocals, you'd sit there saying, you'd think it would be two different bands. Mm-hmm. And yep, yep. you don't, you don't really, I mean, I guess plenty of bands uh, cross genre or, or whatnot, but, but from a commercial standpoint, like from labels and all of that, I, I, I don't really get the sense that they uh, really love that strategy. Although those kind of people are always the ones who want to, Step on the artist's dream in that regard. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I I can see, you know, somebody working at a label saying, you know, I, you know, a band is a product, and I need to be able to brand the band and and make it clear what this is. So, you know, people are, are aren't going to go out and buy a record if you know they're they're unsure, and they, you know, if 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 they hear three four songs and they all sound different, it's a lot of people would kind of wouldn't know how to like, interpret that and, and follow that. And, you know, they might hear one song they like and then not the other song and then get worried and not by the album. So I get it. 
it's nice if you can, you know, if you have a band that can write 15 songs that kind of all sound the same, um, it's a lot easier to market them. But I, to me, it just, you know, it, it gets, it gets stale really fast. I agree uh, with, with iTunes. Uh, I think it shut down today, maybe, but the news that it was shutting down uh, is, is newsworthy. And that kind of uh, leads me to a question. Did what did uh, what did Chuck think about the the notion of sort of an album versus I, I guess nowadays uh, the if if artists have uh, more than one song from a record that's remembered that's like a major hit which is kind of as a creator upsetting to me because uh, I know how much work goes into making that stuff you make you know ten to fourteen tracks of uh music you don't want people to just buy the one and listen to that over and over and over again right yeah chuck was definitely an album guy he was definitely uh put something in listen to it start to finish and uh then press play again and 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 enjoy it again and um you know I, i remember um he had a couple of um uh demos that he had recorded with his band cement that uh, on their, their last tour and they had never been released. And we were talking about putting those out and it was a long discussion back and forth about, you know, okay, we're just, we're going to put these out digitally. And, and for him to kind of gra- like grasp that and say, yeah, you know, I don't understand, you know, like why don't we have a physical release? And it was like, well, a lot of people are just buying stuff off iTunes right now. And, um, you know, there's a, a limited audience and, and this way you can kind of put them out yourself without having anyone, try and edit them or mix them the way that they want or, you know, things like that. And, you know, he definitely was not, um, uh, at the forefront of, of downloading and streaming and whatnot. Um, I could tell you that when we started touring in 2017, uh, the first run that we took, um, somebody gave him an MP3 player that I think was built in the 1940s somehow. And it, <laughs> it, it held like, uh, I, I think it held a total of like 70 songs, but there was only like 25, 26 songs on it. And he didn't know how to load more songs or anything to it. So the first run, we basically listened to that, those same 25 songs, like over and over and over. And a couple, there was a couple of good songs on there and there was a lot of just randomness and, Man, even by the end of the first day, like the first day we drove from Cleveland to Pekin, Illinois, it was like a 11, 12 hour drive or so. Um, we'd already heard the songs, you know, eight, nine times at that point, And we were just done with them. And uh, that that luckily, I think, only lasted a month or two before finally we just I think he lost the the MP3 player so we, we can move on it. But but then again, um we, we, we went on that, that 31 day run. We had, I think we had five CDs cause we all thought somebody else was going to bring a CD booklet. And, uh, so we only had like to start the run. We only had five CDs. So we, you know, I mean, I had stuff on my phone, but, uh, um, you know, if we wanted to listen to a whole album, um, you know, whatnot, it was just those same five CDs. Did your minivan when I, uh, my last car never had a I've actually never had a car that had a CD player because my old car had a cassette player and then my new car doesn't, you know, didn't even bother. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you ever have one of those cassette players that had the wire that plugged into your iPod? Oh, yeah. They'd break yeah, yeah. every six months or so. If that. Yeah, exactly. No, I've 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 felt those pains. Um, I actually um, 
I, I bought a car once and I had the, I had a, the cassette player with the, with the thing. And then actually my car got broken into and they stole it. And I was almost like, you know what? It's probably, probably better if I have to just get rid of all this and just rethink the whole thing. So. Yeah, that, um, it's interesting to think about just the, 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 the idea of, of music curation, because it's something that I read an article the other day that said, basically a lot of the people in Silicon Valley are, are trying to move everything off of like a, you own your own content, like, like buying an iTunes movie or like on Amazon or an iTunes song and just trying to migrate over exclusively to just like subscription based services, which I guess mm-hmm. in the long run for them would be more profitable because you never, you know, people maybe go a month or two without buying a CD or if right. they do, you only get X, you, you, you get a sliver of that. But uh, the subscription based stuff is, uh, it, it's hard to even say, oh, that's the thing of the future. They're, they're trying to make it the thing of the future. And I guess that's kind of why vinyl has made, has been making such a comeback, not only because you can listen to a, a full record and appreciate an artist, you know, the, the, all the work that they put into. It's not like somebody goes in the studio for a year to record a uh, single song. It's not like, like Guns N' Roses didn't spend 12 years <laughs> recording Chinese Democracy just to put right. out one song. Yeah. So I, I didn't... Uh, I've actually seen them twice since that came out, and they're actually pretty good. But um, I, I saw... I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's one of those bands that, uh, you know, I, w- I would like to... I've never seen them. Um, I You know, so many of my friends have, and, and I've heard good things and, and whatnot, and it would be nice if, if one day it happened. Um, you know, I, I, I guess the, the stuff I heard even from the last tour is that they were, they were on point. So they, um, so the first time I saw them was in, I want to say like 2008, it was Madison square garden and Sebastian Bach and Hopper Roach, I think opened and it was Axel and he had a nine. Yeah, he had a nine-piece band, <laughs> and they didn't. Guns N' Roses didn't start playing until like ten thirty eleven, which is absurdly late for a place like Madison Square Garden. But yeah, yeah, his voice was in such rough shape that he would leave the stage after every song, and one of his like dozen or so band members would play a solo, and they, he had a good band, but. And then Axel, I mean, uh, Sebastian Bach had to come on and help with the last three songs, which my Michelle was, I think, really the only one I remember. But that was a killer show. And then I saw them at Coachella with uh, Slash Duff. And I guess the drummer there would have been at the, had been a band for a while, but they were great. Um, Not that this podcast about Guns N' Roses. uh, (laughs) It's, it's, you know, I, I. I guess I thought of them because they were uh, coming of age around the same time as Faith No More. Well, and 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 we talked before about connections, and there's definitely strong ties with uh, with, with Faith No More and Guns N' Roses um, touring together, and and you know, like you said, kind of coming up together. But also, um, Chuck and Slash knew each other like way before then. Um, and uh, I think went to like neighboring high schools or something. Um, so they, they, they knew each other as, you know, as kids uh, before they were, you know, so yeah, it, it's relevant. It counts. That would have, uh, for so long, Axel had that weird, uh, 
I don't even know what to call his hairstyle, but um, <laughs> I, think, I think Chuck could have given him some pointers on that front. Chuck had uh, really, uh, I Chuck's as, as somebody who's always loved hair, Chuck's hair was uh, really great. And and speaking of connection, this is this is uh, pretty wild. So when I saw when I saw Doug and Chuck play at the Viper Room, another band on the ticket was called Downtown Brown, which uh, they're from Detroit originally, but they're also based out of Long Beach. Although I've never seen them walking around, sadly. Uh, they probably live on the other side. But I've seen them a couple times since. But to make a really bizarre coincidence, uh, this past Saturday, I was in Huntington Beach seeing uh, a show, and it was Downtown Brown. They played a set, and then they were the supporting act for HR of Bad Brains, and Chuck was uh, briefly the singer of Bad Brains. So... You know, Doug is based out of Cleveland. Chuck was in Cleveland. And yet this like convergence of uh, the, you know, the, the, I mean, Bad Brains is also a band that kind of straddles the line of genre. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, this, this, and they've had many different lives as far as, you know, they've kind of gone through shifts and they've definitely gone through different members they had, you know, at least three singers that I know of and, um, you know, and, and, and have had different styles and, um, they, when Chuck was in the band, um, they recorded and practiced in like the Woodstock, New York area. Uh, so Chuck lived there when, um, his eldest daughter was born. And so he, you know, I mean, he, you know, California guy kind of, um, heading out to New York out in the middle of nowhere and, and, uh, and joining bad brains. He, he always called it rock and roll boot camp. He said, those guys were, you know, the best musicians he played with and, and were just, you know, total professionals and, and super cool. It's so wild to just think of like how many hours go into all of that stuff. And then you travel around it. It, it really, the, the, the lifestyle of the musician, uh, authors, uh, we complain about, uh, edits and all of that stuff and writer's block and all of that life on the road. I mean, oof, that's, uh, <laughs> And and you've uh you've you've you're uh really you live in both worlds. Are you yeah, working I, on a book? Yeah, I I um I I've I've tried my my hand in both worlds and and uh you are correct. I mean it, it is interesting to sit in front of a typewriter or a computer and and that, that blank page and and worse, see a full page and then have somebody else write a bunch of red on it and tell you what's wrong with what you wrote. Um, but I, um, uh, I, for years was trying to get Chuck to write, uh, a bio, you know, autobiography and, and tell some of the stories about his life because he just lived such a unique existence and so far different than my own that I was, I mean, every time he opened his mouth, I was fascinated with what he had to say. I mean, just even just you talking about like, you know, walking down Long Beach, like I live in Cleveland. There's, you know, there's no surfing in Cleveland. Um, and, uh, you know, it, you know, hobnobbing, you're playing softball with Alice Cooper and, uh, delivering flowers to, uh, uh, Rhea Perlman, Danny DeVito's wife and all these, you know, things that just, yeah, Aww. things you just don't do in, in, in normal everyday existences. And, um, he did them all and more. So, uh, I, I tried for years and unfortunately all we got was, uh, uh, several little, um, passages that he wrote, he hand wrote in notebooks 
Um, but what I started to do was I started to kind of document my time with him. Um, and you know, first with his van VUA, trying to get them going and the ups and downs of that. And then our, how our tour came about and then our touring and our recording. And then, um, in 2016, um, he did two shows to, uh, he reunited with faith and more, um, um, to, um, celebrate the re-release of, uh, we care a lot, their first album. And, uh, so we, Chuck and I played, uh, like a 30 minute set and then, I was replaced by, you know, four backup musicians and, 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 uh, Faith and Moore played with Chuck, which was pretty insane. You know, I got to sit in on two of their practices and, um, um, you know, sound checks and backstage and just kind of see them all operate. It was really cool. So I try to put a lot of that in the book. Um, and then again in 2017, when we recorded with, uh, Matt Wallace, um, and recorded Chuck's first like bona fide solo album. So I try to get a lot of that stuff down as well. So, um, yeah, some, I put together a book. Um, it, you know, it's something that you question every hour, every minute you kind of think of something like, Oh, I should add this. I should make this point. I should take that out. I, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah. You, you know, the drill, um, you know, so I'm in that phase kind of right now, just antsy for it to be to the point where I can't tinker with it anymore because it kind of needs to be what it is. Yeah, that's even something I, I I've I've really tried to curtail my doing that for podcasts. Um which it's like, you know, it's not just like a word editing like fine tuning a piece of audio or even like re recording over it is uh not that easy, but that's that's it's so fascinating to see hear you talk about your time with Chuck because uh you're obviously a huge Faith No More fan before you met him. Mm-hmm. And not only did you get all of these front row experiences, not just with Chuck, but the band as a whole. And then you got to travel the country. I travel the, you guys did an international part for a bit too. You went over to England. Yeah, we, we did um, like a a 30 day trip. We did, we did uh, England. We did like 25 shows in England. We did one show in France. We did four shows in Scotland, one show in Wales. um, And, um, me being part Irish, we had a, uh, like a two hour layover in, in Dublin. So I saw Ireland through the, um, air, airport glass. So I've, I've been to my home country. Oh, <laughs> was, um, how, how were the, uh, Welsh, were the, um, were there a lot of faith, no more fans in Wales? Yeah. So, um, you know, every, every show we played over there, um, I was, Really surprised. I mean, you know, Chuck did a couple of uh, tours with Faith and Moore in England, some pretty heavy touring, and, and really they got big in England, you know, 86, 87, 88, uh, much before they were big in the States. So a lot of, the, a lot of people there had been, you know, had gone way back with, with, with Chuck. Um, one of the guys I met, um, had met Chuck at a Faith and Moore show, and then, um, they, uh, end up hitchhiking to a couple of other shows and Chuck ended up, I think hitchhiking, hitchhiking with them. He, he left the band and, and hitchhiked with, with these guys to like the next gig and stuff. And, and, you know, and, and that was 30 plus years ago and he's kept in touch with them. And I, I met him, um, at, a, at one of our shows in England. Um, and there was another, uh, there was a guy at a show that came with his two sons. Um, and, and the, the guy, Steve, um, would guess he was, 
in his maybe late sixties, early seventies. And his sons were probably, uh, little, you know, mid forties. And, um, um, they, they came early, they talked to Chuck and, he, and, and Steve and I talked and he basically said, you know, when introduce yourself came out, uh, my two sons were going through a rough phase. We weren't talking, we couldn't connect and it was, it was bad. And, and they started playing this tape, introduce yourself. And I really got into it and, and we kind of talked about it and faith and more came to town and I took my boys and that was kind of a turning point in our relationship. We all kind of bonded over introduce yourself. And here we are 30 years later, you know, and they were there to thank Chuck and, and they hung out. I mean, till the bar closed, you know, just telling stories about how that show and that tape like changed their lives. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, for all the, I always think about just how big this world is. Usually, I mean, you read about, uh, a lot of my exposure to sort of global issues is, uh, when a lot of the, uh, LGBT media is covering atrocities here and there. And you're like, Oh, this world's big. You know, I'm isolated in Southern California from all of that. And then something like, you know, a story like that happens. You're like, boy, the world feels weirdly small, which is kind of very comforting because you've got a story like that where an impact, you know, uh, uh, yeah, life changing moment came in the form of a cassette tape and a show that you got to uh, that that Chuck got to follow up with uh, decades later. Just, yeah, I mean, wild. so before Chuck and I toured, um, I was actually in the UK um, for the first time ever. Um, my wife had gone on business and she brought me along, and I took a train up to Scotland and. Um, I went to a bar in Edinburgh, um, to meet a fellow Faith and More fan that I had been talking to online for a long time. And I sat down at the bar and the bar patron next to me, um, and the bartender started talking about, uh, Faith No More. And the guy told a 15 minute story about how he saw, um, Faith No More, you know, 30 years ago and how, he talked to Chuck and Chuck was super sweet and, and whatnot and um, how they went to the bar afterwards. And he remembered all the stuff Chuck said on stage and, you know, and whatnot. It obviously made a huge impression on this guy. And it was that night Chuck called me while I was, um, uh, I'm sorry that it was the next morning as I was on the train heading back to London. Um, Chuck called and he said, Hey, um, I'm, I'm thinking about going forward with this tour. Would you come with me? And uh, you know, I was like, wow, that's, you know, it's, pretty crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, a couple thousand miles away in a, a random <laughs> bar in Scotland. And I was just talking about you and here you are. So, um, yeah, I mean, he, he, he definitely makes an impression wherever he goes, uh, for good or ill. Um, and sometimes both. And, and, and <laughs> that's why I think it's, it's kind of, it's, it's beautiful. And in, in a way, I mean, he, um, you know, I listen to old show recordings and listen to the two of us just kind of or even him, like, you know, us conversing back and forth and trying to make each other laugh or, or make each other mad just as often. Um, and, uh, and, and then, you know, him talking to people in the crowd or, or even I just heard a recording, uh, of a song, you know, and he did this often where he kind of talked to himself to calm himself down because he was always just beyond nervous on stage. And, uh, uh, just hearing that today, 
of him just kind of in, trying to quiet everything out in the world around him and just say, okay, you got this, you know, and, uh, and go forward with the song. So yeah, he, he was, uh, he was a character, man. Yeah. I remember at the Viper room, he, and when you guys came on too, it was definitely like past 11 or something. There had been a couple other bands. Mm. Um, he addressed the audience and he said, uh, I'm so, so nervous right now. And you look up there and it's like, I think one of the other bands that had played had, had mentioned that they had been fans of We Care A Lot growing up. Mm-hmm. And they're in a, in a very classic LA venue, like the Viper Room. Yeah. Here's a guy who really pioneered a whole genre of the 90s that took People people look at like Limp Biscuit with obvious derision because uh, they kind of sucks. But um, <laughs> there were uh, plenty of I, I think as a you know the quote unquote new metal or that kind of stuff uh, gets a gets an unnecessary bad rap. But um, did Chuck really think about um, sort of the legacy of 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 what they had done? Um, he he definitely did, and I, I think. You know, there were times where he said, um, you know, I, you know, he's like, well, there's other people doing similar things for him it, it, when he was writing songs like for the or, or lyrics and stuff for the for the We Care A Lot album. He said, you know, at first he just he screamed everything because when he first started with playing with Faith and More, it was just kind of filling in here and there. They would call and say, hey, we got a couple shows in L.A. Would you sing for us? And, you know, he wasn't even like in the band. He wasn't really practicing it would just be kind of a spur of the moment thing. And so when they first went in the studio to demo stuff, he was just screaming everything. And, uh, Matt Wallace, who was producing was like, you know, that'll get old really fast. And, you know, why don't you, you know, think about doing something else. And so we started, you know, kind of going back to his, his David Bowie and Robert Plant roots and trying to sing. And if he couldn't find a melody in the parts and he kind of, you know, talked and, and kind of, you know, rapped or whatever. And, um, you know, he listened to a lot of hip hop and a lot of rock. So it just made sense to kind of, you know, bring it all together. Um, he was a big Sabbath fan, big Zeppelin fan, big Bowie fan. Um, but you know, just the same, he was, he was a fan of uh, hip hop that was happening at the time, you know, a lot of local stuff. And, um, you know, so it, it made sense to bring it together. Um, and he never, you know, like I said, he never set out to, you know, do something new. I don't think it wasn't, you know, he just wanted to, you know, find his voice. I mean, he wasn't even a singer at that point. He was a keyboard player really and a guitar player and a piano player. And, um, you know, it was more of a, for fun thing. And then, you know, as, as the album came out and they started to tour, it became more of a reality. And he said, okay, I need to start taking it seriously and improve and, and kind of really find my voice. It's fascinating to think of him as, one of the earliest people to do sort of the rap rock hybrid, given how much he loved acoustic guitars. <laughs> so, and okay, here's, here's an insight about Chuck that I, I and I, I um, just being around him so much, especially the last couple of years. And then now kind of working on the book and working on the music and trying to get that stuff out and kind of, uh, I guess, caretaking his legacy for right now. Um, so, you know, near the end of his time with Faith and More, he was really pushing, um, playing acoustic songs live. Um, I know people have heard he covered, uh, 
um, life's a gas and at their last European tour, just him and a guitar. And, um, he, um, he tried to say, Hey, maybe we should do like a whole acoustic album. And they were like, you know, I, I wasn't there, but from, from what I, you know, have heard it, they were really kind of taken aback. Like, what are you talking about? Like that just is so different from what we're all doing. We're all working towards this one thing. And now you're, you know, coming up and trying to do this acoustic thing. So, you know, fast forward 30 years and I, he and I agreed to go on an acoustic tour, just him and a guitar and me and a conga and keep it stripped down. And then he just, every night was like, let's get a distortion pedal. Let's try and cover a punk song. Let's try and get heavy. Let's, you know, and he pushed it in the other way, you know, like he always was just never comfortable, just kind of, you know, following the flow. He had to, he had to kind of push the boundaries and stuff. Um, and, and it certainly, uh, certain times irked me or, or, or confused the crowd or, you know, uh, made for weird pairings with bands that we played with or venues that we played. Um, but it certainly kept us all on our toes and was very entertaining to watch. And, um, you know, again, listening to what we did in 2016 versus 2017, when we added guitar and bass and, and more effects pedals and, and went in a, a kind of a heavier acoustic direction. Uh, it really is a trip to see where he took us. Yeah, that is that is fascinating, especially. I think a lot about sort of the, the, the notion of, uh, I guess, when it when it comes to music or I guess any any kind of uh Actually, I, I guess the the better example would be I think a lot about how in film how now you know the the era of like the movie star where you go to see like the new Brad Pitt movie mm-hmm. or the new however that's been kind of replaced by franchises that weren't really as I guess they were predominant ten years ago but they weren't like you know all-encompassing every fucking month. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely been a, a, a huge shift where uh, um, it, it, it's a totally different way. I mean, I guess if you go back, you know, you said when you had, uh, you know, Chuck references Rock Hudson, you had some of these guys who for many, many years were, you know, like you said, we're, we're in a new picture every six months and that was the big thing and whatnot. And now it's less about the star and more about, the, the characters and, and the, the overall storyline and shared universes and all that stuff. Well, yeah. And as it relates to film, I mean, uh, music, you've got, you know, the question of, you know, does the audience follow the performer or does the performer contort to the expectations of what the audience wants to hear? Like right. um, LCD sound system, their farewell tour was uh, called Shut Up and Play the Hits, which is uh, <laughs> funny to think about because it's kind of it's I, I guess it's it's what everybody would want. And then you kind of think, OK, from the performer's perspective, who wants to travel the country and play the exact same lineup every single day, especially, I guess, with all the other uh, monotony surrounding yeah. traveling on the road as much as you guys did. For sure, yeah. And, and I, I think having helped Chuck for 20 years with his email accounts and his phone and, and whatever, like he had, he could have toured the globe making a decent amount of money. If he just, uh, got a group of guys together and did, you know, a 40 minute faith more set and, and played, you know, 
everywhere. I mean, he, you know, he had, he had offers in Australia, New Zealand, he had, you know, offers in all over Asia, South America, you know, I mean, all these places he had never gotten to go to that wanted to hear his voice. And I, you know, obviously it, it sounds, oh, it, it sounds tempting to have a steady paycheck <laughs> and maybe most rational people would take, would take the paycheck. But Chuck was like, I want to, you know, I want to make new music. Um, and, uh, and, and kind of see this thing through and, and, and follow these creative urges rather than constantly living in, in what was going on 30 years ago when he was, you know, 25, 26 years old. Did you have like, uh, when you would go booking venues, were there any people who were like, I, I only want you if you do these X songs oh, that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Most of them, most of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I spent a lot of time just saying, look, what we're doing, we, we pepper in, uh, things from his past. Um, but it's an acoustic tour. We don't have a keyboard player. You know, we don't, you know, it's, we're limited by what we're doing because we're catering towards the, the, the acoustic songs that he's written, uh, over the years and, uh, um, things that we can, that, that don't sound way out of place, you know, with a conga and a vocalist and, and then with the bass and, and, uh, um, guitar player added in 2017, but, yeah, I, I mean, I, like I said, we, we could have played a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of shows if we just had said, you know what, we're going to do 25 minutes of Faith and More or 40 minutes of Faith and More or a set of Faith and More. Um, it would have been a lot easier. Um, but I don't know if it would have been as fun. No, again, I'm a Faith and More fan. I, I, you know, I, I, I love those songs and whatnot, but there's something to be said for like, like for the the Viper Room, like <laughs> it's the only the only stage we ever played where we did a sound check behind a curtain and the you know the, the announcer I, I think there was an announcer or whatever and then the you know the, we start playing and the the uh, the curtain goes up and 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 here we are you know uh, you know playing at, at full volume playing some crazy song that nobody knows and 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 we barely know because like our our, our bass player only had three or four shows with us at that point, and and he was kind of holding on for dear life. And <laughs> Chuck's got his echo, uh, you know, his guitar is on set to fifteen, and 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 he's got like two distortion pedals going, and uh, he's got echo on his voice. You can't, can't you know? I mean, it, the the chaos of that was just was frightening and just insanely wonderful at the same time. Yeah, that's that. You described the Viper Room pretty well. The last time I was there, uh, this band. Called the Real Mackenzies, which play, uh, I guess they're kind of like Vlogging Molly. They play kind of, uh, they have bagpipe player, they Irish music. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the bathroom, the Viper Room has two single stall bathrooms, and one of them was was closed for maintenance or somebody. Well, I don't, something, I don't, I don't really know, but there was only one active, and there was this huge line, and. I go in and I, I, I must have been like really quick or whatnot. I come out and this old this old guy in a kilt just says uh, uh, in a thick, thick accent, like, uh, thank you last for uh, being quick. And then five minutes later, I hadn't really realized it was it, the, the singer of that band. It was the same guy. He's up there performing like five minutes later. And I'm like, oh, yeah, good thing I was quick. Like, <laughs> it's a wild venue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. It was I mean. It, it's funny, like, you know, um, when, when I talk to people who maybe don't know Chuck's music or what we did as much, 
I just say, look, at some point we played the Viper Room and uh, the fake doors from the Doors movie played there. So like me and Val Kilmer have like played the same stage. Um, and I just saw there was another Viper Room was used in another um, movie. I just saw it the other day. Darn it. Um, and there was so I, I, so there was like, you know, I, 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 I didn't play with the Doors, but I've played at the same venue as the fake Doors, you know, so it's a great I movie. feel like that's yeah. I actually forgot. I I really, I think when I I might have been there before, but I, I remember being really excited when you guys were playing there because it's always uh, as L A L A is not that big depending on what time of the day you're trying to get around. But um, mm-hmm. the Sunset Strip is just such a, uh, especially that that particular part where you've got um, all those different the the Roxy. Yeah, uh, I mean. Seeing seeing the Roxy, seeing the whiskey, you know, Rainbow Room, seeing Troubadour. I mean, you know, the legendary clubs that have have made so many bands, um, and there's so many stories. Like I said, to me, coming from Cleveland, um, while there's a deep history here, there isn't. You know, it, it doesn't compare with walking and playing some of those clubs that have, have been around for a long time. That was really cool. Yeah, in the Viper Room, just to think, like, Johnny Depp used to own that club, River Phoenix, literally, you know, the... Yeah, yeah. As iconic, you know, the... Such an iconic actor. Literally died right outside that club. It's it's, it's nuts. You're just, like, standing outside it thinking, like, oh, there's a, you know, great bookstore that I go to just down the street. And meanwhile, like, this historical moment is also just right... It, it Sometimes it's... uh. I grew up right outside New York City, so I would go there all the time. And now I live in L.A. It's it's very easy to take for granted how, like, just sort of uh, special those kind of places are. And it's always it's always yeah. fun to go back to the Viper Room. And uh, they always book they book fun shows. You also yeah, and, and that was that was that was a, that was a fun night. I mean, I like I said, I. I um, I'm a little overwhelmed by both New York City and LA for, for different reasons. Um, but I, I really felt like, you know, and, and as tired and stuff as we were, I, I feel like it was just, it was just a really cool atmosphere. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a hell of a night. If you could describe being on the road, I guess with Chuck, but just maybe from a musician, just broader standpoint in like just a, a, a nutshell. Cause I always, I always think about, there's a part of me that always wanted to be a musician. I, I play bass. My, I've I always wanted to sing. My voice is terrible. Uh, it's probably only gotten worse as I've transitioned. It <laughs> straddles the line between masculine and feminine. Um, the road though is, is always something I'm like, yeah, I, I always think to myself, I would die on that. Uh, just, just with the travel. I, I don't really actually even like travel. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, there's, there's, there's smart ways to do it. And then there's like the way that we did it. Um, and there were reasons we did it our way, you know, like four guys stuffed in a minivan, um, to, to, you know, economically it's all we could afford. I mean, um, you know, unfortunately on that run two of the guys didn't have licenses. So basically Chuck and I had to do all the 11,000 miles ourselves. And, um, let's just say Chuck did not do many of those miles. So I was, I was fried. Um, you know, for me, it was, it was, it was tough to, um, at the time, maybe like appreciate the, the massive undertaking that we were doing. Cause I was just, 
so exhausted and, and just constantly driving to the next place or whatever. But, you know, it's, 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 you know, if, if you have time to take a breath and look around it, you know, you, you get to see what's happening in different parts of the country, try different foods, drink different, you know, beers, um, and, uh, and then just kind of get a gauge for what people are thinking. I mean, if you go to, you walk into a, a restaurant in Portland, Oregon, and you ask someone, you know, five political questions, and then you walk into, um, uh, Huntsville, Alabama, and ask the same five questions, <laughs> you're going to get vastly different responses. And both of the people are going to be super passionate and knowledgeable about what they're talking about, but there are just fundamental differences. And, and that to me was uh, fascinating. You know, I guess like Cleveland, there's kind of a mix um, of, of political leanings and, and uh, views and, and to see, you know, the polar opposites, it's, it is uh, a, a definitely a wake up call. Yeah, in uh, Long Beach, you've got the people who hate Trump and then the people who really hate Trump. Um, but then there's uh, <laughs> neighboring Orange County where it's like, uh, you know, uh, Southern California is a great place to be out of the closet. And Newport Beach, they think that they're in the closet because they're all Republicans, but they don't want you to know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's when we were... Uh... Um, in 2016, when we went to England, um, it was September and October of 2016. So it was just as, you know, Trump was really taking the reins in the race and, and kind of catching up. And, you know, so everyone over there, they were kind of dealing with, uh, with Brexit and, uh, they were dealing with, um, Scotland had voted, I think that July, I think, or August, um, to, um, to remain uh, part of the in, part of the UK rather being independent. So there was a lot of things happening there and every day people were asking, you know, what is going on? Are you guys really going to elect Trump and stuff? So that was, uh, um, that was certainly a, a hot button over there. It is fascinating to, I, I think I always kind of roll my eyes when the media is just like, Oh, let's find ways to, you know, quote unquote, come together. Cause I mean, it's just kind of uh, sort of an idealistic uh, notion that I don't think is, worth all that much but it's interesting just to think about how there's a group like yours and a, a person like chuck who can go to portland oregon and can go to huntsville alabama and there's people there that that uh you know both both have uh you know are big fans of his music which i think is uh, yeah and, and 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 it definitely was fascinating because there was you know even um, you know, people would, would sometimes ask him and, you know, about different political views or they would tell them about theirs. And there was definitely people who were, you know, agreed a lot with him. There's people who totally like vehemently did not like his, his, uh, stance on things or, or whatnot. And, um, but, uh, you know, they were able to put those things aside and say, yeah, but the, this music's really entertaining and you're cool and you're a good person. And so that was cool to see. Was Chuck very political? No, 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 you know, I, 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 I mean, I would say no. Yeah. He um, I, I think he was, he, yeah. I mean, I, but I think he was, uh, you know, probably disenfranchised like a lot of other people just kind of saying, man, where do you even start with certain things? Right. I mean, he definitely had viewpoints. Um, he definitely had, uh, 
beliefs and, and, uh, um, but I don't, I don't know that he had much faith in, in the, in the system, uh, to get, to get his, his voice heard in a, in a, in a reasonable manner. Yeah, it's interesting to to think about that. You got so many artists who are so political, and you know, then you, then you got people who have their opinion, but I don't know, don't want to necessarily integrate it into their music. I mean, I that that, that goes for basically yeah. just about anything. You know, being a an author, I find that people really want to keep me in a certain lane. It's like. I I don't know. I I kind of I kind of see where Chuck's coming from with the oh you want me to play this genre I will uh, call that and raise you something totally new. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I was just gonna say I I, I was listening to a, a live recording today. I've been I've been listening to whatever shows that we had recorded. I've been splicing up uh, the different shows into different songs and whatnot to see what we have. We'd always talked about doing a, a live record and, and I have, have been kind of slowly but surely working towards that. And I heard a show today where, um, where we were in the middle of the set and, and, and as usual, Chuck was ignoring my set list and he, he was kind of noodling on the guitar and, and he was like, Oh, uh, let's see, should I play this older song or should I play And he sort of playing one of the newer songs and, and, you know, something in the crowd, shouted out like a faith and more song. He's like, um, and, and he was like, Oh, I don't, you know, we'll play, I can play that. And then they, you know, they started shouting out more and, and kind of getting a little, um, just overbearing about it. And he's like, okay, that makes a decision. We're going to play exactly what you don't want. And, <laughs> and I'm going to play something new that you've never heard. And you might like it, you might not, but I, you know, that's, that's where we're at and whatnot. So yeah, he definitely, if you came at him straight, he was, he was willing, he wanted to take a, a hard left turn and, and, and take you out of your comfort zone. He enjoyed that. Yeah. I, I, I guess, um, I, I see a lot with older bands nowadays who are just playing, like they'll take a old album that they'd done and play it in its entirety. And mm -hmm. it's, it's nice. To, uh, I, the one that I'm really thinking of with that is, uh, Iron Maiden has done that a couple of times. Rush. My dad's a huge metalhead. Right. So I grew up with all of that. And then, yeah. <laughs> naturally went to more uh electronic stuff but um i was looking at i don't know if you know the band the the they sing uh uncertain smile this is mm -hmm. a day yeah. they were doing a tour they were coming around and i looked at their website the tickets were like really expensive but i looked at the tour and they had like a disclaimer about the tour saying we are not playing these songs in the way that you remember them we've done the arrangement differently of all that we just want to like let you all know you don't come in here thinking we're doing something that we are totally not going to do. And it's just interesting to think about yeah. because when you, I guess when I, when you buy a ticket for a concert or a stand up comedy or, or anything, I mean, maybe you have like your hits to see, but I, I just, I, I've always been way more interested in, uh, if the artist is unhappy there, it's fairly easy to tell. Like I saw Billy Idol once and he came on 45 minutes late. He was really, co he was clearly very coked out and he was reading his lyrics on a piece of sheet music for a lot of the time. And I'm sitting there just being yeah. like, okay, this is, I will never do this again. And actually as a result, yeah. I can basically only listen to uh flesh for fantasy, which is my favorite song. 
But um, I guess Blue Highway is also pretty good. But there's a couple I'm just I like think of him and I'm just like, Bleh. but I'd much rather have an artist be <laughs> be happy on the stage than miserable. Yeah. Well. Well. Okay. So in 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 uh, uh, two examples to maybe make the point in a different way. So with Chuck, he was in Faith and More when he was again in his mid twenties, and he was out of the band for thirty years, and he lived a life, and he had two daughters, and he had. Um, you know, a wife for 30 you know, plus years and he moved, you know, to, he was in bad brains and he was in cement, all these other things. And so he's got a different relationship with those songs. Cause they, I mean, he was detached from those songs for a long time and I wouldn't necessarily want him to get on stage and just spit out what he was doing when he was 25. He's an artist and he's going to, you know, evolve. If you were to, let's say in 20 years, go back and, and rewrite, uh, trip down reality lane, right? It wouldn't Ooh, be the same book. And I wouldn't catalog. want it. I wouldn't <laughs> want it to be the same book. <laughs> like, you know, like you would remember different things. You would, you know, have a different perspective and you might want to say something different. Oh, yeah. Not that it's bad. It's just, you know, it's, di- it's different. You know what I mean? I mean, an, an artist who paints over several years, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, now that being said, I've, I've certainly seen artists who have, who have, who have done, new renditions and they weren't good, but, but I respect them for, you know, trying to keep it fresh. Like you said, rather than get on stage and just collect a paycheck and go through the motions. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I don't think it's come up in this entire podcast, which is like getting closer to the end. But, um, Doug and I have known each other since probably 2015 or so. We were at the same publisher. Doug has, um, his book, a, a game of inches or a life of it. I'm blanking off. A life, life of inches, inches, yeah. There we go. I'm glad I, uh, yeah, that, um, I always know these things and then I go re- rec- recording and I always have like that small slip. I, there was, I was editing an episode, um, earlier where there was a character in something that I was supposed to talk about and I got one single syllable wrong. And I, I had prior to the episode <laughs> said to myself, look up this person's name. And I did that, but uh, <laughs> Doug and I share the same publisher. Uh, that's how we knew each other. I've obviously, like Doug, known Faith No More for a long time, um, which I remember, I think, probably the first time that I really got into Faith No More was uh, I was going through a big, heavy corn phase. And then, natu- I, I guess, Faith No More, I, I just decided I wanted to... I've actually been kind of listening to Corn a bit lately. I heard their uh, speaking of unplugged. I listened to their unplugged set. And it's actually pretty good. Um, I, I uh, when we were touring in 2017, um, Corn was doing um, little um, unplugged sets, kind of gearing up to do like a full unplugged thing. And and I, you know, I know there's uh, the Corn guys have always been really, really, really good to Chuck. Um, and uh, I had said to him, I said, you know, you're in contact with them. Why not? try and do a, you know, if they're going to do like a, a, an unplugged set, it'd be like a natural thing to open up for them or, you know, whatever. Um, and that was one of the things we were, we were talking about near the end was, was getting in contact with them. Cause like we saw them in the summer of 2017, they played Cleveland and, and Chuck and I went, um, and, uh, they got, you know, Chuck in with a, a big group of people and, um, we took them backstage and hung out and, and were super cool to him and me and his family and, um, the people that we had brought and, and they, 
they had played, uh, they covered We Care a lot the night before. Uh-huh. They thought Chuck was coming the night before in Cincinnati. So they said, it's not on our set list tonight, but if you get up and do it with us, we'll, uh, we'll play it again. Uh, but Chuck was in his, his, uh, shy mode. So he didn't, he didn't uh-huh. do it. I'm act- but, uh, yeah, th- those guys are always really nice. That's good to hear. I actually just realized I have tickets to see them in August when I'm on the East Coast. They're playing with Allison Chains, which is probably like my, in my top three favorite bands. Uh, although obviously Lane Staley has passed, but, um, I haven't seen Korn yet, so uh, it's good to know that. It's good to know. You know I, I always like hearing that uh, artists are nice guys in real life, or when they are, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I kind of, you know, I stayed back um, and just kind of watched and and whatnot. And I, I, I was able to say hi a little bit and ask a couple questions, and they, we stood side stage when they played, and and they, like I said, they were super, super nice. But everything I saw, they just were, you know were really cool to, to him and, and especially, you know, Chuck being able to take his, his, uh, daughter to see, um, corn. We, we actually saw corn twice and, and each time we brought one of his daughters along and, you know, to see them growing up with corn being, you know, a huge band and then watch, you know, them, them getting you know, to watch corn kind of making a big deal out of Chuck was really cool. Cause I mean, when they were born, he'd already gone through his faith and more stuff and you know, whatnot. So, they didn't see, you know, they saw him as dad, not, you know, rock star guy, you know, singing for a band and touring. They saw him as goofy dude on the couch watching Band of Brothers DVDs. Huh. And they're, and, and they're, cooking. Korn is basically like the one surviving band of that, of the kind of the, the era that Faith No More helped usher in. Like, you don't, I, I don't see POD or Limp Bizkit or well, Lincoln Park's obviously not performing anymore, but you don't, yeah. They're, um, they're really the 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 one from the late night the the new metal that kind of thing that uh, made it. So that's 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 great to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got a uh, um, two more. Somebody sent me um, our bass player Andy from uh, England. He 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 did the England uh, run with us. He sent me a, a couple of recordings that he took, um, so I can just splice them up and kind of listen to what's what. Um, so I'm looking for a couple specific songs that uh, that we only did on on that run and and whatnot to, to have good versions of. Um, so I'm going to listen to those and 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 the longer we talk, the less my wife has to hear more of me and Chuck bantering on stage. <laughs> like I think she's sick of <laughs> it's it's been the last like like week straight. I've been I've been trying to organize because I had I've gone through two hard drive crashes and I've lost a lot of things. Um, and I'm all out of whack. Yeah. So I'm going through all these random files and I keep finding stuff. And it's like, just, I don't know. We were, I, I, we were ridiculous on stage at points. And, and, uh, I, you know, um, I, I just heard, uh, uh, an exchange we had about Samuel Jackson and trying to quote movies and just getting it completely wrong and just entertaining each other. But I just imagine the people in the crowd, like, what are these two even talking about? Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. We just, I don't know. Like he, that's, that's one thing. Like, I mean, he was a, just a goofy, funny guy. And, you know, I know at times he, he didn't know maybe how to express that because he, you know, he was self-conscious of, you know, his, his story and, you know, having to you know, ask for money, you know, a couple of points in his life and, and, you know, being kind of down on his luck and, and whatever. But, 
but man, when you can get them going, I, you just wouldn't stop laughing. And, um, I, I heard, um, uh, a show in Pittsburgh we did, it was a, a really bad phone recording, but you know, making each other laugh, doing like Bane from Batman impressions and whatnot, you know, you, you, <laughs> I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's weird out of context, but it, it's, it's been good to hear, but my wife is, she's just done with it. You, um, there's that old saying, uh, never meet your heroes. Usually yeah, it's yeah, yeah. just because, uh, they can be human beings can be disappointing. Surprise, surprise. But, um, <laughs> you got to spend a lot of time with one of your heroes. Uh, you got to have an adventure that um, seems ripe for a Cameron Crowe movie. Oh, it's funny. I, me and me and Chuck, uh, we've we've talked about that, and and uh, we are are both uh, Cameron Crowe fans for sure. And uh, we definitely uh, possibly have re- recreated things where that involve Chuck screaming out, "I'm a golden god!" Um, and he didn't jump into a pool. Um, but, uh, but we, yeah, we definitely quoted, <laughs> quoted, uh, that on the road. And, uh, and I would, I would, you know, I think Chuck, Chuck is such a character. I would love somebody, um, to, you know, do a, a, a full life, you know, uh, film, uh, on, on him. I think it would be, it would be fascinating. Um, I know in, in 2017, um, David Colopy, who was also at the Viper Room show, um, he flew out to Salem, Massachusetts and filmed a, like a 20 minute short film, uh, with, that he wrote and Chuck stars in the film. And it's, uh, kind of loosely based on what he thought, pardon me, I just burped, um, <laughs> what Chuck's current, <laughs> I, I just, I'm chugging Gatorade all of a sudden and yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, but he, for one day we filmed, uh, this, this short film that I, I, it's not, it's not out yet, but it's, uh, I guess like 99.8% done. They're, they're doing a new theme song for the movie. I uh, recorded that now. So, you know, Chuck's acting debut will still be coming out at some point in the near future. Um, and he kind of, he plays a, um, uh, a, fictionalized version of himself in, in certain ways. And, and, uh, and then they, they took some live footage as well, uh, of our show that night. So that should be in the film, which would be cool to see. It's like, um, uh, Allison chains played singles. Not to, uh, not to just, there you go. That, uh, there you go. I'm, I'm excited to watch that because, um, he, he's, he's the kind of person who seems ripe for a, uh, fictionalized version of himself because he's such a character already. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, David brought it up, um, a while before we ended up filming and, and I talked to Chuck about it and I was like, you know, it, I think it'd be fun. I think you'd be a, a great in, in front of the screen. And, and, uh, and like the, the, the night before, um, we played in, uh, in Maine and Chuck, he, rarely ever slept when he like he stayed up super super late like basically until the sun came up he he would be up and then he would sleep for half an hour and then he'd be up again and so i often got roped into very late conversations with him uh, where he got very philosophical or very goofy depending on the night um and the night before we filmed he was like i i kind of feel foolish like i don't understand am i playing myself am i playing somebody else and 
I was like, don't overthink it. Like, you know, just follow the script and see what comes natural. And I, and I think at first it, it, you could tell he was really nervous, but he, he really, um, uh, I think really opened up and kind of embraced it throughout the day. Um, and then by the night we were both tired and crabby and then, you know, um, what, no, we, we got back to bickering. Um, but, but it was cool to watch him kind of embrace it. And I, you know, I mean, I'm excited to see that, um, that film. So, I mean, you know, my, my hope is that, you know, that, that film comes out, we've got Chuck's solo album is kind of sitting in wait and then, you know, some sort of, you know, live release as well. The things that we planned, I, you know, and then my, and my book, um, is targeted like, a, I think a November release right now, we're working on the cover art for it. Um, so it, it, I'm trying to keep Chuck's name out there and, and let people know what he was doing. Uh, cause he was writing some really good songs. Um, as, as we kind of marched forward on the road and, and I hope, hope to get him out so people can take a listen. Yeah, that's that's so sweet of uh, just to hear. I I only obviously met Chuck once, but I, I remember getting the news. I was actually I was back home for an academic conference, and I was sitting at my uh, uh, parents. I was sitting in their living room, and I was looking at my phone. I must have probably I guess seen your Facebook post, and you know you read news that celebrities die all the time, especially 2017. There were a lot of celebrities seemed uh yeah passing but he was such a kind person and i i you know even spent a couple hours with him but um it was one of those one of those uh passing you're just like oh i i just saw the guy like a couple months ago and i i assumed you guys would i assumed there would be a reintroduce yourself 2018 tour and uh you know it, it yeah um yeah uh, the, 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 the day that he passed, I mean, I texted him about a show that we were, um, he was going to play a show in, in New Jersey in, um, I think December of 2017. And, and he was intent on possibly just taking a bus out by himself and just grabbing his guitar and playing some of the real mellow stuff that we hadn't played on the road much in 2017 because we had the full band. So a lot of the, the solo stuff didn't make as much sense. And I had said, Hey, if you want, you know, I, I can, work, I can book a couple other shows around it and just you and I go and do what we did in 2016 and make it real mellow and laid back. And if you want me to play on a couple songs, cool. If you don't, I'll go along for the ride and, and sell merch or whatever. And, you know, we have, we had still had t-shirts and things left over and, um, and we had, we had signed with a, a new booking agent who, uh, had us, um, out, January and February, basically the whole month doing another cross country trek back and forth. Um, and we had Australia and Chile, um, kind of in the works. So, I mean, 2018, you know, if, if you, um, would have stuck with us a bit, I think we would have seen his solo album out and, and, and a lot more touring would have been, would have been good. Yeah. That, uh, it's funny. You mentioned, uh, Chile. I have, a uh feature article for pride month on a Chilean film coming out this week. But, uh, nice. Although I guess it would have already come out by the time I was about to say, I shouldn't talk about that yet, but, um, it's not out yet. <laughs> and this podcast probably won't be out till next week at least. So, uh, that, uh, it's, it, it's great to hear how many, uh, 
things you got going to keep his uh, memory going, which I guess leads me to my my final question as we wrap things up of just it's an impossible question. So I'm sure you're going to you're going to love to hear it. But um, you're you're (laughs) you're sort of uh, if it's possible to summarize or reflect on your takeaways from uh really this is just a, an adventure of a lifetime to spend that kind of time with a man like chuck so i you know i um when when he called me to tour um you know i said no um i i have two kids i have a wife i have a house i had a somewhat decent job at the time. And, and I, I couldn't just as much as I would want to, couldn't just, you know, um, put everything on hold. And that was in February of 2016. And by April, uh, a lot of things had changed with my job and, uh, it kind of made more sense to do it. And so I did it and I, I basically, I left my job. I had two practices, maybe three with Chuck and we played our first show and, and two days later, we played another show. Then we went on the road and, you know, whirlwind two years we recorded, we played 160 some shows and whatever, three or four countries and like 38 States and all these things. And, and, and all through it, I was so focused on, I have to make this work. I have to get him an album. I have to get him, you know, playing as good quality shows as I can. I have to get him interviews. I have to get t-shirts. I, you know, I have to make sure we get a rental car and get there safely. And I was focused on all these things. Um, and it was really hard to step back and know what we were doing. And, and my, I, I talked to my brother at one point, I have an older brother. He's a couple years older than me. Um, and he kind of introduced me to the, 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 the Chuck era of faith no more. Um, through his, his bedroom wall at the time, he was too cool to talk to me, but I heard it. Um, and, and he was just like, you know, you met one of your favorite singers from your favorite band. You were friends with him for 20 years. You got him in the studio a couple of times. You got him on the road. You guys hung out. You had, you know, endless adventures. Um, and, and, it, it's just like now a couple of years removed and listening to these shows and, and whatnot. And, and now opening up and talking about it more, it is totally insane that it happened. And it's a miracle that we got done what we got done, even though I can still look at it and say, well, we could have done this, 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 and this, you know um, you know, I mean, he had like 12 or 13 songs written, ready to record and we got seven done, you know? So it's like, but it's a miracle that so many people stepped up and helped out and that he and I got along uh, as well as we did being as different as we are and as different, you know, backgrounds as we had. And um, it's, it's something that I will, you know, has obviously changed my life and has impacted other people. I've, I've heard the stories and I hope, what we did shines through in the music that we put out, um, moving forward and, and that short film and, and the book. Um, but I mean, out of all, you know, not to go Casablanca on you, but like out of all the 
you know, gin joints in the world and all the concert clubs in the world. He happened to, you know, walk into the one that I was going to that night in, in September of 97. And, and, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy how our, our paths kind of tied together for a while there. And I, I hope that, uh, what we did, like, I hope that we help cement his legacy as a really good performer, a really strong, songwriter, um, a, you know, um, a husband, a dad, a cook. Um, and, and, and I hope it, it just, you know, adds to his story and let, and let people know who Chuck was. Cause he was a complicated, frustrating, wonderful, hilarious, maddening, uh, stubborn as all get out. Uh, human being, and I, I, I love him, and I miss him so much. And he was way better than the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has uh, uh, a deep, 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 deep respect for those guys, uh, and and you know they Faith and More and Red Hot Chili Peppers toured early on, and and they had a lot of good times, I guess, together, and. Uh, I know, um, he was, you know, very upset when, when Hillel passed. Um, he really enjoyed, uh, Hillel's work and personality. And he said he always just admired Flea and had a really great time with Flea, um, on the road. So <laughs> I, I realized as we were wrapping up, I'm like, you haven't, haven't, uh, I guess people talk about that, that, that feud a lot, but I, I was always team, team faith no more on that, but it's, it's, I, I mean, my, like I said, I brought that up, um, with Chuck once and he was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. He's like, we're totally cool. Like we toured with them. We played a lot of shows with them. I learned a lot from them. They learned stuff from us, you know, whatever. And they kind of, you know, grew up together. But, you know, I guess a lot of that started as, as, uh, Anthony felt, uh, Mike Patton was kind of, cramping his style or something and, and, and whatnot. So yeah, it was definitely Chuck had nothing but positive things to say. Yeah. It's, it's so, um, the way you talk about him, I mean, you can really tell that you guys had a, you know, I mean, I, I saw that, you know, firsthand at the Viper room, but, um, it's, uh, he, he's lucky to have you and to carry his legacy. And, uh, we, we the podcast was also very lucky to have you. Um, this has been a really, really exciting episode. It's one I've got I've wanted to do for months, and uh, that pesky Thrones kept getting in the way. But Tyrion, um, <laughs> all of that. Did Chuck like Game of Thrones? You know, I don't. I try to remember if he ever saw it or not. I, I, I he, I don't remember if he watched it. And it's weird because we talked a lot about movies and TVs, uh, TV shows because we were uh, nerds that way. But um, I don't remember. Ever, like I, I, you know, I, I remember talking about the books, but I don't remember. I know, like I said, I know like Band of Brothers. He loved that show. Um, I can tell you, one of his favorite movies was The Incredibles. Um, he, yeah, he could not get enough of that movie. First, um, first movie I ever took my sister to when she was like. Three or four. Nice. Well, I was like, I, I took, um, I took my kids to the, um, 
drive drive in uh, theater. I think last summer to see Incredibles two, and I was like, you know, uh, if Chuck held on a little bit longer, he could have seen the sequel to his favorite movie, and uh, yeah, you know whatnot. And and there, you know. They have the uh, ride there but, in uh, at Disney California Adventure now. Could have uh, you guys could come back. Uh, see, see, oh man, yeah. There was, I mean, um, you know, one of his favorite bands um, was the Zombies, and they got inducted uh-huh. in the Hall of Fame. Um, and yeah, a lot of stuff happened last year that I said, man, if he had if he had just uh, been patient with us for one more year, he could have gotten to see a, a couple of really good things. Um, I know you really like the band, the damned and they did some 50th anniversary shows I'm trying to think there's, there was a lot of, a lot of stuff that, that he missed out on. And, um, ugh, it upsets me to no end. Well, we've got all of the upcoming, uh, truck stuff. The, the record store day release, which I recommend everybody pick up. It's very, if you were, if you were touched by this podcast episode, you should get that, that, that record. Cause the, I mean, both both the songs are great, but especially just take this bottle and it's. Uh, Thank you. He had a lot of heart as a I, singer, and uh, you can. That's very I, I I um I ended up doing uh, recording my the the verse that I sing the, the second verse um uh after um because we ran out of time the day that we were in the studio and uh, so I was lucky uh, Joshua who recorded it. Um, who also played bass with us on a couple of runs and, uh, um, and, and my wife who were there and they did the backing vocals. Um, they, they talked me through it. It was, it was a, uh, a tear filled, uh, session just trying to get a couple of lines out on a song, but, uh, I think it, it came out very well. And Joe Hayes did such a spectacular job of taking some really raw, really rough, um, sparse music and, 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 uh, um, having it sound as good as it did. Yeah, it does. Um, you you can tell that. Uh, I mean, I that, that that oh, I poured my heart into this. It's kind of like a cliche, but you you can definitely tell with that. I mean, it. Uh, the notion that uh, we have talked for over an hour and a half uh, all about uh, <laughs> legacy and his memory. Um, it. Uh, I'm sure wherever he is, he's. Uh, Smiling that uh, you've uh, done such a heartfelt job. Oh no, that carrying on his no, legacy. Hold on, I, I, I'm sorry to 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 he wherever he is, he is complaining <laughs> about whatever I said. <laughs> so, uh, that is, if there's anything I am certain of, is that he is shaking his head and just saying nope, 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 except for the Incredibles. Other than that. He is second guessing everything, which is, which is fine. You know, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I'm, uh, like I said, I've, I'm used to it. I've, I've, uh, <laughs> been there, done that, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, that's, that's, great. <laughs> that's funny. Um, no, but I appreciate you giving me a, an outlet to talk about them. I, you know, like I said, it's, uh, it's, it's always good to talk to other people and, and, uh, um, you know, about what, what he was doing and, and, uh, and just kind of get it out there rather than internalizing it all and talking to myself about it. Well, we'll have to, uh, we'll have to have you back in November when the book comes out. We can talk about, uh, all the adventures that, um, I'm actually, I'm grateful. I, I think we covered absolutely everything I wanted to cover, but, uh, with, uh, with the book coming out, there's, uh, a million different 
different strands. But uh, to everybody listening, uh, I want to thank you guys. I want to thank Doug for coming on. Uh, I've known Doug for uh, a couple of years now, and uh, I've seen him perform. It was great. I'm sure what um, all the it you you, you got to know that uh, the tr- uh, upcoming truck productions will be good because Doug, you know you, you've you've heard him. The man cares a lot to uh, to riff on the original album, which I'm glad it took me this long to do that. But uh, to everybody, everybody listening. <laughs> Uh, to everybody listening thank you and we'll see you next time